Yes, I agree. It is a lovely shade of grey. However, I did order it in blue. Welcome to the Ferrari Hub podcast, where we will be talking Ferraris. And now your host, Andy Rasul. Welcome everybody to episode 8 of the Ferrari Hub podcast, where we are talking Ferraris. Today's guest is a F12 TDF owner. His name is Tim. And we're going to be talking about his experience of buying the F12 TDF. And you're going to want to hear this because this is quite possibly the most unique F12 TDF that has been spec'd. Both the exterior and the interior is completely unique. And he talks about his whole process of specking the car, buying it through the t- through the tailor-made process. Um, and yeah, just, just an all-around fascinating interview. In fact, it's so good. We went from that and then started talking about the whole collection process, which again is completely unique. I've never heard this brand before. So more on that later. A little bit of detail about some of the articles that have been going live on the website. So on Friday, we had an article go live. It's part of our Drool series where we want um, to present cars that our users can and our readers can drool over. So on Friday, we had an F40, uh, sorry, an F50 go live. Um, And in that article, I explained why it's now one of my favorite Ferraris of all time. The fact that it's a V12, it's a manual, it's an open top as well as a coupe. And literally, it's an F1 car for the road. And I mean that literally because the engine is straight out of an F1 car, um, although it has been adapted for road use, but it is based on uh, an F1 car and so a, a lot of the mechanicals as well so that we, we, we found a lovely F50 um, for you to drool over and on Monday our drool article was about a 488 Spider, which is in a great combination of Rosso with creamer interior and it has a healthy sprinkle of carbon fiber on the car as well and it's a really lovely um, example. Some other articles that we had go live on the websites um, we had an article go live on the 550 575 marinello uh, an article go live on the hardcore 488 which is yet to come out so this is the uh, successor to the 458 speciale uh, we're used to seeing the 360 uh, challenge Stradale, the 430 scuderia the 4 58 Speciale, and now the 488, which is being called in the media as a 488 GTO, but we doubt very much that it's going to be called a GTO in reality. We also had another article which went live on the F50, um, so do check that out as well. And you can check out all of our articles by going to ferrarihub.com forward slash articles. In addition, the podcast, weekly episodes going live, today is episode 8 we've something amazing happened last week we had a 50% increase in the listeners on our podcast so that's really fantastic i mean it's really great to see more and more people coming uh, to listen to the show and uh, subscribing to the show and also to to leave us um, feedback as well it's really fascinating but it's it, what 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 blew my mind was a 50% increase i mean that's just great and i really thank every one of you for tuning in on a weekly basis and listening to us. I know your time is valuable, but the fact that you are spending some of that time listening to what we're putting out, that is truly awesome. I really appreciate it. 
As always, show notes for each episode are live on our websites. So when the podcast goes live, we have the show notes go live. This particular episode, you are going to want to check out the show notes because we're talking about Tim's car and we have pictures uh, of Tim's car on our website. So that's all there for you to check out. So do go back to the websites, have a look. It's ferrarihub.com forward slash EP8. Today's sponsor is my sister site and it's thelauncherhub.com. At The Launcher Hub, I help business owners, whether they are traditional businesses or online businesses, to get their online strategy just right. Although I come from an investment banking background, I've always had businesses on the side and I'm often asked how I do things. Next week, I'll be launching a free workshop for anybody to attend. It's an online workshop and you can simply register yourself by going to thelauncherhub.com forward slash subscribe. In the workshop, I'll be covering how to get the foundations for your online strategy just right. I'll then cover how to brand like a boss, which tools you should consider using, and how I reduced 13 months of work down into five days. It's free to attend, so be sure to register yourself at thelauncherhub.com forward slash subscribe. Now on to the show. Tim, I, I've been sort of following your story for uh, quite some time now. Why don't you tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and what um, and the vehicles that uh, you currently own? Well, currently it's um, a TDF, which is a tailor-made car, mm-hmm. and a F40 LM. Great. Um, there are a, a couple um, of incoming cars, and there are inevitably a couple of cars I would like to own and have tell mm. myself I must own before um, I'm too old to drive. So, uh, <laughs> so so both of those are quite different cars. I mean, the, the F40 LM um, is sort of probably one of the rarest versions of the F40. Uh, is yours a road-going version or is yours strictly a track version? No, it is a track version. It's actually registered for the road. Okay. Um, it was not a Michelotto car. It was an ex-race car, which took part in the BPR series in 97, I think it was, 98. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I use it on the track. Um, it's not really, I mean, the F40 anyway is not a great car to drive on the road. Mm. Um, you know, it's certainly today because of the limitations. Yeah. Um, you know, with the police and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Uh, and it's therefore more fun on the track. And the LM just takes the whole thing up to an, another level. Yeah. So, no, I keep it primarily for track. But you say they're dissimilar. They're actually, remar- I think that they're actually remarkably similar. I oh, think right. The, the F40 and the TDF are remarkably similar cars. I mean, I was lucky enough to have a, an F40 uh, when they were launched. In fact, that's a story in itself, because when they were launched, I wasn't allocated a car. So I wrote a sort of oleaginous letter to Enzo. Right. Um, had it translated into Italian. Mm. Um, you know, saying, look, please, you know, I've loved this brand since I was 13 years old. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I would love to own one of these cars. And Bless him, he bothered to write back, and I still have the letter with the violet sign Ferrari signature. Wow. Um, and he got me allocated a car. Fantastic. Uh, and and what, what, year, what year was your model then that you purchased back then? I think it was 89. Okay. Wow. 88, 89. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was, so I, I did own an original F40 or a standard F40 for, I suppose about three years, mm. uh, and loved it. But it was it was always a, a tiring 
car to drive. I mean, you never got out at the end of a trip thinking, well, that was easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it encouraged you to drive fast. It gave you, in return, a much more raw and visceral experience. It didn't mm. cosset you. Mm. Um, but you had to be on your game if you were going to get from A to B um, in, in a sort of one piece. Yeah. And I think the TDF does the same thing. It intimidates you from that point of view. It's a, I think, at least I find it a, a very violent, a furious car. Wow. Um, which is, and it's, it's very raw. And again, um, you know, you have to be on your game if you're going to drive that car quickly. You've got to pay attention. You can't just sit back and, mm. and relax. And yes, you can drive it slowly. And it does a much better job of being driven slowly than the F40 ever did. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's just the advance in electronics and you know, automatic gearboxes and everything else. Mm. Um, but it's still an equally visceral experience. And so I really see the TDF as being a contemporary F40. And, and if I was to parallel that car to anything in Ferrari's heritage as a road car, mm. I would I would put it in the same bracket as an F40, albeit they're separated by whatever it is, 40 years. Yeah, that, that in itself is amazing, the fact that there's 40 years between them. Um, but what's really surprising about what you say is, you know, we sort of look at the the TDF as being, you know, based on the F12. And the F12 is something that you could, use on a day-to-day -day basis you know it's quite comfortable you know you know put it on bumpy road setting and you know it's it's, it's easy enough to drive around town um but you know from from the way that you've described the tdf um you know the, it's worlds apart in you know in a lot of respects compared to uh, a standard f12 it is i'm not quite sure what it is that does it but um you sort of feel i mean i owned an f12 prior which i mm. still think is is just one of the greatest ferrari road cars i think it just does it mm. for reasons you mentioned and aesthetics that wonderful elegant pininfarina design um i think it really does encapsulate the front engine contemporary v12 mm. ferrari yeah um the tdf you feel okay so you accelerate flat out in an f12 and it feels very very fast mm. You accelerate flat out in a TDF and you feel almost slightly out of control. You feel the car has got a hold of you and it's just unleashed and it doesn't want to stop. Wow. Um, and I don't know if it's because everything's just that little bit rawer. The noise is that much rawer. The steering feedback is that much mm. um, finer. Yeah. Uh, the suspension is that much harder. Mm. But, I mean, I remember one particular time um, when I was letting it go through the gears and you feel actually, rather like when you're driving a very quick motorbike, mm. um, you're hanging on. Wow. And, and how you can hang on in a car when you're supported by a seat, um, you know, it, it defeats me. I mean, the, the LM is a very, very quick car, obviously. They're yeah. horsepower and, you know, just, just under 1,100 kilos. That's obviously going to be a very quick car. Mm. But something about it doesn't feel quite as furious as the TDF. Wow. I, I find it extraordinary from that point of view. And therefore, as I said, if you're you're not going to get a, a relaxed drive out of it, yeah. and consequently I use it, you know, there's no point to me taking it out in the wet because all you're doing is posing. Mm -hmm. um, and there's limited point taking it out in the winter. You know, yeah. You've got to take it out because it says, it really does say to you, I want to be driven. Yeah. And you just, and you want to hear that noise at 9,000 revs. So mm -hmm. it just, you know, you're encouraged to do it. And cold road or a wet road or a slightly icy road you're going to be in trouble in that car so i yeah. think you need to choose the conditions to match the um uh, vicious of it yeah yeah no i i 
<laughs> I totally understand that. I mean, I um, uh, unfortunately um, wrote off uh, Ferrari um, some years back um, <laughs> because of um, cold conditions. Uh, and me too, funnily enough. What, yeah. what did you write off? I, I had a 456M and um, yeah. unfortunately I, I, I left um, my father-in-law's house and the that particular day it was particularly cold. We had a snap cold day um, a couple of years ago and the tyres on the car were cold and I was not even going fast. I was probably going about 20, less than 30 miles per hour. Just went round a, a small bend and the back spun out and I went into a concrete wall which was right in front of me and uh, unfortunately wrote off the car and of course the the 456M for um, you know for those who know the car it comes with a one piece carbon fibre bonnet um, which Ferrari no longer have in stock so um, yeah so repairing the car was near impossible um, and unfortunately there's not many bonnets around so yes uh, it was a, a sad day to see that go yeah, well, I did exactly the same. Snap cold day, mm. just like you're saying. Mm. Um, the point of it had been frozen overnight. Mm. Um, and I lost it accelerating hard because it was a glorious sunny day. Mm. Uh, I was accelerating very hard in a modified boxer, which I had. Right. Uh, mm. um, coming onto the motorway and lost it on the slip road on some mm. black ice. Yeah. Um, but I was going rather quicker than 20. Yeah. I I remember actually with this particular car um the the front tires on the car and this is one of the things that a lot of people just don't realize but the front tires on the 456 it's the same tire size as the rear tires on a BMW 5 series um so you know if that's the front you can imagine the rear tires on a 456 are even wider than that so it's um you know it's it's really surprising so yes. you know Cold weather is definitely not a good thing, but no, correct. So as I said, add that into the mix of the TDF. Mm. Said, no, mm. you might as well just you'll get as much fun you know, yeah. driving down. And that's why I'm waiting for a, you know, um, a current standard road going car because that's the car I'll use on a, mm. not a daily basis, but when the conditions um, aren't you know perfect for the TDF. Yeah. So we're we're actually the, the reason why we set up this um, uh, this call was really to discuss the TDF in a bit more detail because, as you mentioned right at the start, it's a tailor-made car, um, and or your particular one is a tailor-made version of it. Um, just just explain to our listeners, you know, what a tailor-made model, uh, what's the difference between a standard model and a tailor-made model? Well, tailor-made was a or is rather. Uh, a department created by um, Montezemolo. Um, strange, I think it was this, uh, at the launch of the 458 Spider. Right. So that was what, about, I think about what, eight years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the idea initially was it was very much aimed at, because um, I spoke to him about it, mm-hmm. and he said, well, uh, we're doing this primarily because it's aimed at the Chinese market, because they come to us with some fairly extreme requests mm-hmm. for uh, primarily interior work. Right. Um, you know, whether it was you know, in Blazing Dragons on the seat or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was, he felt, or when well, speaking to him, he sounded almost embarrassed by what they were doing, but there was clearly a market mm-hmm. um, for personalizing the cars. Um, and I think they went it initially somewhat tentatively, mm. thinking that it would really be a Far Eastern thing and it wouldn't spread further. Mm. Um, and uh, what then um, 
arose from that was the potential to, uh, rather like a bespoke, you know, tailor-made suit, mm. um, was to literally, um, for a price, Ferrari will do just about anything you want to the car. Right. Uh, and specifically, they focus on the interior. Um, but then, obviously, um, tailor-made paint comes into it. And so you can, you know, make up your paintwork or as um, one person has done, uh, even have no paint, you just have a bare um, alloy body shell. Oh, wow. Gosh. Um, and you can do uh, really whatever you want. And uh, the one thing you can't do when you go to tailor-made, it seems, is you sit in this... Um, the allocated, unlike McLaren, who would, I'm sure, have had it on the you know, first floor of a glorious building down in Woking where mm. natural light would flood in and everything would be beautifully presented. Mm. The Ferrari Telemade program is, is frankly a disgrace. It's, it's housed in the basement of one of the R&D buildings. Oh, wow. With virtually no natural light. Mm. Uh, bare concrete walls, which have been covered in sort of um, hung black silk. Mm. Um, and you go in there. And there are more paint samples than you'll ever find uh, at your dealership. I mean, by yes. the hundred. Wow. Um, and uh, it's, um, the, you know, you, you can effectively say or request whatever you want. But the mm. one phrase you don't seem to utter there is how much. Right. Um, it's, you just don't, I don't know why, you just feel almost embarrassed to, to question the price. Right. Because they're going to deliver exactly what you've dreamt of. Yeah. With advice, and they'll try and restrain you. You mm. work with a designer and you work with a, um, a graphic artist. And so, as you dream up your creation, mm. so it's sketched on screen, and um, you can begin to see what it is in reality that you have put together. And you're helped by what I would call, I suppose, an interior designer, really. Who, yeah. Um, Ferrari have a few of them mm. who work for the company and try and, you know, knowing the history of the brand, knowing the materials that are available, they work with you so as to create that unique personal car. Yeah. And there is no, as I said, there is really no limit to the interior. Mm. They don't want to start altering exterior body panels. Mm. Um, that's when then you're moving into the sort of special projects uh, frame, which is um, a rather more expensive so, so an so an example of that would be, I guess, the F12 TRS, um, you know, which Correct. which is an F12 mechanically, but um, the the body is very different to the standard exactly. 12. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, and they've done a, you know, I think they're up to somewhere in the 30s now. There's about 30 special project cars, mm. um, but there, I think, the starting price now is about four million euros. Mm. Whereas in tailor-made, bizarrely enough, um, there doesn't seem to be a minimum. I oh, right. Um, I mean, you, you know, I thought you would have to uh, say, look, I'm going to spend over X mm. in personalization. Mm. And that was never requested. Um, you just, you know, first of all, it's quite tricky to get an appointment because what has happened is, uh, as opposed to starting with the uh, Far Eastern market mm -hmm. um, and just thinking it wouldn't expand beyond there, mm. is that now it's really um, become a much bigger business than they thought. Right. And consequently, the demand for space, especially when you had all the 70th anniversary cars, mm. uh, the demand for space for tailor-made appointments has exceeded their capacity to supply. Mm. And I would hope that what they will be doing now is that they will be expanding their 
tailor-made. Certainly their facilities, which, as I said, are just mm. laughable. Mm. Um, and uh, um, creating more of a sort of professional experience because it, it had a very sort of artisanish feel about it. Right. You didn't feel like you were at McLaren Special Projects. Mm. Um, it was, but there was something, I mean, only Ferrari could get away with doing it like this. Yeah, yeah. You know, charging these obscene figures for, you know, if you want a carbon fiber footplate or a mm. you know, special paint or whatever. Um, and they can somehow do it whilst working out of a dingy, you know, black satin shod, um, mm. you know, un virtually uh, unnatural daylit. Yep. Um, office, uh, whereas McLaren, as I said, would I'm sure you know, you'd walk away with a lovely little presentation box with your chosen yep. samples and everything else in it. Mm. So it's very much almost sort of going back to the roots of Ferrari, I suppose. Yeah. When uh, it really was you know, an artisanish style of operation. Maybe maybe and, that maybe that's the uh, the feel that they're trying to give. You know, you know, back to the original feel of uh, going in and ordering a Ferrari, working with a small team of. Um, experts and craftsmen but it sounds like inadvertently mm. you're probably right andy but i don't think it was their intention i just no. thought look we started this business mm. we'll stick it in the basement yeah um and uh, it'll keep our far eastern customers happy and you know it'll just it, yeah. it'll be it, it'll be a nice sideline yeah but then they realized the market was much bigger and that people would pay for individualization and they would pay at a rate so when you spec your vehicle i mean was there any possibility of going through the tailor-made options here in the UK or is it is something that they only do out of the factory in uh, Modena? They only do it out um, at Modena. Right. Um, and the, I mean, the decision for me was quite easy because um, I was very fortunate to be allocated at uh, TDF. Mm -hmm. And as you know, uh, with Ferrari, there's this extraordinary, um, I don't know of anybody, any other company that manages to achieve it, but you know, you actually feel grateful to them for allowing you to give them a lot of money to yeah. take possession of a car. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. And so on being allocated it, I thought, well, this is a chance to do it properly. Yeah. Um, and uh, not to just do my normal sort of uniform, which I tend to put on um, mm. uh, any road-going cars I've had. Yeah. Um, so, so strike out and do something different. So, so, Tim, tell us a little bit about the spec of your TDF because um, there's a few things in particular which make your car very, very special and or I would say unique as well. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about sort of the spec that you went with and um, why you particularly chose that. Um, okay, well, I, what I did before, and I mean, if any of your listeners ever are lucky enough to go to TaylorMade, I think it's a, a useful way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I decided my, um, not my spec, but I just decided what I was trying to achieve in the overall theme um, before I went. So when we were in the cellar in Marinello mm -hmm. um, and I was working with uh, the designer, uh, I said, look, here is our guide. I want to create something which is classic, sporty, stylish, but individual. Mm -hmm. And that was my brief to myself. It was my brief to TaylorMade. Yeah. Um, and so we had a sort of a general direction in which we were going. Um, the exterior, I mean, quite often with these cars, you can work, at least I think when you're specking a car, you can work from the interior outwards to the exterior. Mm -hmm. And this was um, one of the, 
the, the ways I went on this car was because the standard black interior, which is on the TDF, which is all black Alcantara, mm -hmm. is it's quite an oppressive place to be in an F12. It becomes very womb-like and very, you know, a very dark space. Mm. Very utilitarian as bespoke, sorry, as, as befits a, I suppose, a race car for the road. Mm. But I wanted to create something which was, um, would have some lighter aspects to it. So I already knew I wanted a, a lighter interior. Mm. Um, and uh, so with that in the back of our heads, I then took myself off to the wall where there are literally hundreds of covers. Right. And uh, we came down to about three or four colors at the end, all of which would have worked with some degree of lighter interior. Mm. And one by one, Unfortunately, two of them were greys, and I'm a grey freak. I mean, I've had Ferraris in Regis Silverstone, Regis Tenio. Mm. Now, um, they're just, there are some great standard greys. But my dealer said he wouldn't allow me to order another grey car. Right. So um, I decided that, fine, I had to stick by that. I couldn't just have a grey car, mm. which is, it is the default because um, they look good in the UK. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you drive down any road, certainly in London, you'll probably count um, 15 to 20 to 1 will be grey, silver or black cars. Mm. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I decided that I had to do something which was going to be different because there would be a lot of Grigio Ferro, there'd be a lot of Grigio Silverstone, there'd be Grigio Titania, mm. there'd be a lot of standard um, TDFs out there. Mm. And as I was going to do this as a one-off, it had to be different and it had to be a bit special. Anyway, so we eventually settled on this color, which was nameless. Right. Um, and uh, that unfortunately caused us a bit of a problem later, which I'll come to. But having settled on that color, we then worked on the interior. And I was very happy for, because there's a lot of black matte carbon inside. Mm. There obviously had to be, you know, for the, a lot of the body of the interior, there had to be the black Alcantara. But then going back in time, you'll recall from the, classic race car Ferraris of the 60s and 70s, and mm. this car bears the moniker of you know, exactly those cars, um, whereby you had the seats in a different color from the rest of the car or the rest of the interior. Yeah, yeah. And so we decided we might therefore try and lighten the interior by doing the seats in a lighter color. So we looked at the Alcantaras and we looked at um, leathers and I decided that leather didn't have a place in the TDF. Mm. It was too sort of a road feel to it. Sure. Um, and then I remembered that uh, back in, I think it was the uh, 60s it started and certainly carried on in the 70s, that in the F1 cars, they used a material called Pecora. And okay. Pecora is basically a sheepskin. Um, comes in one color, mm -hmm. which was um, a sort of a wonderfully rich, deep, Beige, I suppose, is the best I could describe it. Mm. It's a very natural material. Obviously, it's purely natural as opposed to Alcantara, which is a man-made fiber. Mm. Anyway, and she and I was just talking about this, and, and brilliantly, the designer found buried in the bottom of one of the endless um, sort of nooks and crannies in the department, mm -hmm. she found this small piece of pecora. Oh, well. Wow. And uh, I thought, yeah, that's brilliant because that gives me my link back to the past. Mm. Um, it is totally 
uh, individual. Mm. And it's going to work beautifully with this uh, sort of bluey gray color that um, was the uh, top of the shortlist for the exterior. It would also, right. as it, it would have worked with a ferry, it would have worked with a Silverstone. So, yeah, yeah. And, and ju so, just, just to be clear, I mean, Pecora is a very unique material in the sense that Ferrari have not been making any cars recently with this interior, have they? No. Well, you know, bizarrely enough, um, this was, I think, the first car, first road car, which they'd done with Pecora. Oh, wow. And, uh, because they, hadn't, you know, they said they hadn't used it before. And I think I might have started something because I then noticed that one of their, uh, after I'd spec the car, about mm. a year later, Mm. One of their 70th anniversary cars had a Pecora seats. Oh, wow. Gosh. So it may well have just reminded them of their heritage. Uh, and the lovely thing about it was that the material had to be ordered in specially from a supplier. Right. So right. And it wasn't just a question of Paul Trenner or whatever, just, well, have some more, you know, beige Alcantara or, mm. you know, green leather or whatever it may be. Mm. This was a special sort of a special order of clearly a very specialist uh, material, which I'm not quite sure what other use it has. Mm. Um, and, and, and the feel it, of it is is like a suede, is it? Is it? Does it feel oh, like suede? It feels like it feels like you're sitting inside a teddy bear. It's <laughs> it's this delicious sort of wow. luxurious but um, very grippy, which I suppose is why they used it in the old F1 cars and the um, I think it was just the F1 cars. It was it was the 60s and 70s F1 cars. Mm. Um, so it is very grippy. It does hold you. Mm. But at the same time, it just has a, a, a fabulous irregularity about it. It doesn't have that consistency of Alcantara. Mm. Yeah. It's clearly not a man-made fabric. Yeah. It's clearly a natural material mm. um, with that, imperfections in it. And that, that adds to the character of the car, really, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so, so, that we, so we now had Pecora as another material. And then, so as to get you know more of my um, sort of historic link in there, um, again going back to that era, uh, as you'll remember, uh, I'm not quite sure if it started. I think it started a long way back, probably mm. even pre-GTO days, mm. where they had the effect of the diamond quilting on the uh, um, transmission tunnel and then oh, yes. the back seat. I know it was around the GTO. It was around on the short wheelbase. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it may have been a bit earlier, but it was definitely in that sort of era. Yes, yes. Um, and so rather than just have this plain black um, Alcantara everywhere, we decided that we would do the black quilting, but right. keep it subtle with no contrasting stitch, so it was just black. Mm, so okay. we'd have the footwells, the, the, the uh, transmission tunnel, mm. the parcel shelf and all of that, then done in that sort of historic link uh, detailing yes yes um and then of course you then had two seats just sitting there um and we had to then try and bring or attach that to the rest of the body of the car mm. and so the area which is i think it actually houses the airbag that was done in pecora and then we did pecora straps on the um back seat or back seat back right. shelf I say. right um and then we still needed to connect the exterior to the interior mm. and the designer um, cleverly produced this uh, sort of I think it's called Corduro which is a sort of almost a corduroy like material it's a very rough okay. um, fabric in a very attractive sort of blue grey which took the outside colour mm. and brought it inside so yeah. we then had 
a strip of that on the seats, a strip of that on the glove box. And the whole thing was beginning to um, come together wonderfully. Wow. Uh, just just so, for our, just for our listeners, um, what I do with each of the episodes is I create show notes on our websites. So for this particular episode, um, I will be creating show notes with pictures of the interior of Tim's car and the exterior as well. So um, although it's wonderfully descriptive in the way that you're explaining it, um, uh, I know our listeners will want to sort of visually see what that all looks like. Um, so do head back to the websites and uh, have a look at the show notes. I will put a, a, um, the details of that particular um, link at the end of this episode. Tim, sorry, back over to you. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Andy. It's very easy to describe it. It's, but you, you have to see it to understand what yeah. it is that makes it special. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so that I still wanted further personalization. So um, they then said, do you want carbon fiber floor? So to which, again, you don't ask how much. You say, mm. yes, please. Sure. Um, and we then didn't want any... Um, Aluminium, because there was, you know, on the standard TDF, you've got aluminium vents, you've got mm. um, red detailing around them, you've got aluminium cup holder. There are all sorts of details where there's a bit of aluminium. Mm. Mm. So we then did all of that was done in a matte body color. Wow. So as to lose all the aluminium. And then we had black rings around the vents rather than the standard red rings. Mm -hmm. um, and then we looked at the steering wheel. And uh, decided we'd do that and effectively just take all the detailing of a LaFerrari steering wheel okay. um, wow. with Alcantara and so forth and, and do that. Mm. Um, and you're then asked if you want tailor-made sill plates. And mm. here I had a rather special request and the answer was yes. And I said, just throwing it out you know, rather wistfully, just not thinking it would actually be achieved. Mm. I said, yes, and I'd like... Sebastian Vettel, please, to sign the driver's side, and Kimi Raikkonen to sign the passenger side. Wow, wow. Um, That's so, amazing. That is, that is absolutely amazing. And I don't think anyone else has done it. I, 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 I didn't think mm. um, it would actually happen. I thought it was, it was a request and just maybe. Mm. Um, so that was another of the sort of the details that I think if you were sitting in the atelier, which mm. for the atelier for... Um, you know, there are sort of three stages you can spec a Ferrari. You can go to your dealership and yep. do it there. Mm -hmm. You can go to the atelier, which is where you have one-on-one -on -one attention. So tailor-made is the ultimate. Atelier is another way of doing it. But mm. if you were to go to atelier and ask them to do um, signatures, I'm sure they'd say no. Mm. But as tailor-made, because you're at the sort of top of the tree and you're spending additional money, mm. um, they will try and fulfill really any requirement that you may have. Right. Right, and, and so sure enough, um, they did it. You know, so so did you did you know that that was going to be done, or was it sort of a surprise when you saw the vehicle? It was a request which mm. I was hoping, mm. and when I saw it on my order, mm. I thought, "Yeah, you know, wow. it's actually going to happen." Fantastic. Uh, there are a lot of other sort of details that went into um, uh, specking the car mm. uh, on the interior. Yeah. Um, and they're, but they're all just sort of fine points, which are quite difficult to, to pick up, but they yeah. just make it a very nice place to be. Yeah, yeah. And, and the exterior color, you mentioned the exterior color itself was quite unique. The uh, exterior color was quite unique. And that actually causes a bit of a headache because 
as I said, unlike McLaren, where I'm sure you'd walk up with a nice sort of carbon fiber box with mm. your paint sample and leather samples and whatever within it, mm. uh, you leave TaylorMade empty-handed um, with memories, uh, but nothing physical to right. actually um, relate to what you've ordered. Right. Anyway, so the paint had a reference. Um, and uh, when my order was finalized, I said, but what I'd like is I would like a sample of the paint, please, mm. um, before it goes into production. And there was a certain amount of resistance about, about that. And eventually, I think it took about six months or so, mm -hmm. we eventually got, rather sort of begrudgingly, I have to say, a sample of the paint. Right. Well, of course, the sample was wrong. Right. Um, and so they were about to paint my car in the wrong color. Wow, gosh. Uh, but all you have to recall it is your sense of visualization mm. because you don't have a sample that you can point to definitively and say i'm sorry this sample is not the same as that sample sure yeah so well, i then had to take on ferrari trying to convince them that i was right and they were wrong because mm. the difference between the two colors they were both a sort of bluey gray but one was the color i'd chosen and one was not the color i'd chosen mm. um and so how, how did you how did you overcome that problem then well, I was very fortunate insofar as um, I have various contacts at the factory and the uh, CEO of uh, Ferrari Northern Europe is a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was able through them, through my dealer, to um, convince them that I was right and they were wrong. Mm. And it took quite a lot of convincing because they were convinced it was the other way around and they were right and I was wrong. Right. Um, and as I said, it's difficult when all you're hanging on to is a memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, the upshot was eventually, um, and I, I, then I thought, oh, I can't be bothered with this. It had gone on for months, this fight. Right, And okay. I decided I was going to do uh, a triple layer Grigio Titania. Okay. Uh, and I thought that'll be the solution because they've done that once before. Mm. Uh, everyone knows what it is. It doesn't have a special reference code. You know, let's just get on with it. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, there was one final effort by the uh, very helpful um, Anna, who used to run um, sort of personalization and um, that whole side at the factory, mm. uh, who said, look, you know, you've gone this far. It's the color you want. It's up to us to deliver it. Mm. And apparently there was some sort of um, row or disagreement um, <laughs> because they couldn't understand how they could so badly have failed. Right. And eventually... Um, they confessed it was their mistake um, and that they had got it wrong and the right colour was on its way. Right, okay. And, and sure enough, you know, nine months after I requested a paint sample, yeah. the right colour paint sample appeared. And, and and to you, I mean, I know you were only hanging on a, a memory of the colour, but it was immediately obvious to you that it was now the right colour. It was much, much closer. Right. Um, you know, I could never say it was the same because um, I don't have anything physical to uh, right. compare it with. Right. But it was very, very close. Right. Um, and uh, therefore, um, having gone through all the headache, I thought, fine, well, let's just do it. You know, it's not grey. Yeah. It's still got that grey, slight grey hue to it. Mm. Um, so we will uh, we'll take a chance. And, and it's almost like a bluey grey now, isn't it? I mean, that's... It's a sort of bluey grey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, it's a lovely color, I have to say. I mean, it's um, it's very difficult to sort of say what it's like because it's it's not really like any other sort of shades. I think in the in the palette at the moment. No, it's not. It is. It's a strange color. It's very very light 
um, dependent too. Mm. It can go from showing more blue to showing more grey. Right. So very highly metallicized paint. Mm. And um, is is it a triple layer paint that you? you no, it's not. Opted? Okay. Right. No, um, it's needless to say charged as one. Mm. Um, but <laughs> it is one. Yes. Um, but uh, then it's. Um, you know, it is different. It may not be to everyone's taste. Mm. Um, but again, I didn't want a stripe down the car. I wanted it to be, you know, classic. I didn't want that. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. You, know. you see so many cars with stripes. Yes, a TDF, you know, can carry a stripe as mm. kind of a Scuderia or a you know, Speciale. Yeah. Uh, but I just find it a little bit too showy. And I prefer uh, my cars to be a little bit more low profile. Sure. Um, and that was another reason for um, choosing a color that was different, um, that wouldn't shriek. I mean, the triple yellow, which the car was launched in, mm. was a fabulous color, or yeah. is a fabulous color. And it looks terrific on the car. But if you want to get attention, and not just from you know, uh, you know, Instagrammers, but more specifically from the police, mm. then I think triple yellow is the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was keener to try and fly under the radar and just have something which was subtle and elegant yeah. rather yeah. than um in your face no it's it's a fabulous car i mean i i've seen pictures of it i haven't seen it in person but we'll have to arrange that at some point tim uh, Absolutely. to have a look at it but um I, i've seen images of the car and it, it is beautiful it really is um, the exterior color the interior it's it really is a unique car um and you know having gone through that tailor-made process you know, you, you've ended up with something very, very special, um, you know, which is which is really, uh, you know, a credit to yourself for specking it in that way, but also a credit to Ferrari as well for, um, uh, I guess, sort of handholding you through that entire process. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think if you're going to go to TaylorMade, then you've got to go to try and do something different. Mm. There's no point going there and just being um, very safe with everything mm. you've got to you know sort of think outside and order outside the box yeah um, otherwise there is no point in going there in the first place and you're also right in that ferrari do a great job of handholding. Mm. Mm. Um, you know they know their history they know their materials mm. um, and they can stop you i'm sure from making some you know, really terrible blunders sure um, and then of course there are things they uh, as the tailor-made department will commit to doing, mm. which then their workers are tasked with actually, you know, creating in three dimensions. Mm. Um, so there is a, you know, there can easily be a gap between promise and delivery. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, and obviously they won't deliver it unless they um, are, are happy with it. So you're right. Um, they do a great job of handholding, and mm. they do a great job in actually um, creating, you know, mm. your dream in yeah. reality. Tim, it's been fascinating hearing about sort of the birth of your TDF. Um, but we've, we've got another surprise for our listeners. And that's really to do with the collection of your TDF. But unfortunately, I had to cut the show short there because what we then went on to speak about was how Tim collected his car from Marinello. And it's the most unique collection I've ever heard about. I wasn't even aware that this was possible. But it was quite amazing um, how he actually collected the TDF and what Ferrari were able to do um, with him in order to, to, to achieve that. I'm not going to go into details because it's a really fascinating listen and you've got to listen to it next week, unfortunately. But 
I had to edit it here, I'm afraid, because it was just, it was another sort of 25 minutes of conversation. And that would have meant that this episode would have been an hour and a quarter, hour and a half. And it just, I didn't want to cut anything out. So sadly, I had to split it. Today's episode about the TDF. Next week's episode, we'll be back with Tim again. And we'll be talking about how he collected his car. Once again, today's sponsor is my sister site, and it's thelauncherhub.com. At the Launcher Hub, I help business owners, whether they are traditional businesses or online businesses, to get their online strategy just right. Although I come from an investment banking background, I've always had businesses on the side, and I'm often asked how I do things. Next week, I'll be launching a free workshop for anybody to attend. It's an online workshop, and you can simply register yourself by going to thelauncherhub.com forward slash subscribe. In the workshop, I'll be covering how to get the foundations for your online strategy just right. I'll then cover how to brand like a boss, which tools you should consider using, and how I reduced 13 months of work down into five days. It's free to attend, so be sure to register yourself at thelauncherhub.com forward slash subscribe. That's all for now. Look forward to serving you next week. For now, ciao.